2: A warm up for really Lilo! low. Welcome to lovely Las Vegas. For those of with myself, Greg e. Peterson, now part of the VSN family and podcast, and we've got a tremendous podcast for you. As in the second segment, we're going to be joined by Matt Cox. He is one third of the three man weave and does an absolutely terrific job. Take a look at college basketball out there in the Midwest part of the country, and we're going to be doing a lot of conference talk, talking about conferences that maybe have fallen a little bit short this offseason. Also. Some conferences out there on the West Coast have poached some of the, I'm not going to call it best players from the Pac-12, but some relatively good starters from the Pac-12. His thoughts there, who he thinks should be the top team out there in the Big Ten as well. The one conference in particular that he thought did an exceptionally good job of being able to bring in talent both with regards to coaches and players this offseason. And we wound up doing this interview before we wound up seeing Bonnie Bates go to Eastern Michigan. I do wind up getting his thoughts there and I actually do bring up what would happen And my reaction, if he did wind up going to Eastern Michigan, we're able to have a little bit of a chuckle there because now we've got hindsight on that because now we do know where Monty Bates is going to be going. And in the final segment, I'm going to be giving you guys the news and notes of college basketball from Wednesday, including my thoughts on Mr. Bates. Heading back to Eastern Michigan, it is actually something that we were talking about a few days ago on the podcast with one of our other friends, Carter Elliott, who does a great job over there at the Field of 68 along Sleepers Media. And I actually think that this was one of the better moves that our good friend Imani Bates could have made. So I'm going to be giving you guys my takeaways there. And if you do have a question, comment, segment, idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at gnet underscore D1. Keep in mind letters here. Amy doesn't matter, so as per usual, please just send these into the timeline. The other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you're at this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five star review. Really didn't wind up getting in any Twitter questions today other than my thoughts on Imani Bates and you know what? That'll be coming up in the final segment. So I've got you guys covered there. So coming up next, we're going to be chatting with our good friend Matt Cox of the three-man weave right here on Cusco Soups with myself, Greg e. Spears and now a part of the Visa and Family Podcast. Hey, it's for Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Eatspears, and now part of the VEASAN Family Podcast. It is always a pleasure to have any of the gentlemen of the three-man weave on the podcast, and today it is Mr. Matt Cox who's joining me. He does a great job out there in the great Midwest taking a look at the game that we all love of college basketball and all 12 months out of the year. He does a great job being able to dive into so many different things, what we're all seeing with regards to soft season and three-man weave. They're going to have their previews, and they've got a podcast where we are able to find this fine podcast, to be able to follow the three-man weave on Twitter, that is at the number 3MW underscore CBB. And for Matt, that is at Matty underscore Cox. Altogether, Matt, great to have you aboard, my friend. Thank you. Sir, no better intro in the game. Appreciate you and all the work you do. I appreciate you as well, Matt. It has been a while since we wound up jumping on this podcast. and just want to get your thoughts first as to just what we've all seen this offseason. Is there maybe a few teams that... You feel have done a really good job with the transfer portal that send out to you because, I mean, it certainly has been a case where we have seen no shortage of action. And we take a look at all these teams that are towards the top, like Houston, Gonzaga, UNC. We all know that they wound up having very good off seasons. But is there maybe a few teams that you identify and you're thinking, man, why are they not getting more attention for what they want to do in this offseason? I just like the SEC in general
3: did such a strong job in the portal. I mean, it's, you can't really hone in on one team. There's just so many to pick from. It's a conference that's been known to have, you know, the money backing behind those institutions is well-documented at this point. And now with the NIL thing coming into play, not just for freshmen, but also for transfers, obviously – it's a game changer. I think the coaches that are at the helms there have big time pedigrees and those programs have big time pockets. And I think those are the schools that are winning, you know, just on a more macro level, I guess.
2: Yep. And I think that a lot of it has to do with as well. So many good coaching hires have been made in the SEC, yep. not just this offseason, but the last few seasons, Like Nate Oates a couple seasons ago, Eric Musselman. Now you wind up bringing in Dennis Gates. And I think that it's going to be really interesting to see all, all these first-year coaches wind up doing as well because I do take a look at a school like South Carolina, for instance, and I do think that it's going to take a little bit of time for things to get online there because they bring in the same coaching regime that was at Chattanooga, and Chattanooga was not a quick fix either. And I think that it's going to be tough really for any school other than Florida that wound up inheriting a new coach to be able to go to the NCAA tournament, but I think that you'd be in agreement with me. Georgia right now, as compared to when they had Tom Green, they are in just such better shape. And then Missouri as well, Dennis Gates, especially with Isaiah Mosley coming into the fold. I think that yeah, the expectations yep. have gone up and up and up as the offseason has gone along with them. Yeah, right. I think you hit the
3: two key ones, right? Georgia and Mizzou, where I think the coaching upgrades are going to – pay dividends immediately and a lot of that has to do with who they picked up i'm not saying the georgia roster is a bunch of world beaters by any stretch but it's competent and i think mike white is at a point where if you're like playing the buy sell game of coaching stock i think you're buying mike white at a low right i mean i think he's been almost overly criticized at florida when you look at his teams i mean like i he did a bad job there. He just he underperformed the talent which he had. I think he's better suited for Georgia, which is a you know lower expectation, lower bar. I think that's where he'll thrive. And Gates is going to do a nice job in the zoo too. So yeah, I mean the SEC. I mean just look at the ACC in comparison, right? I mean they got a long way to go and return to their prominence.
2: And I do take a look at a few conferences that they just haven't made those moves. As joining me on the podcast, it is Matt Cox, and we take a look at the SEC. Six new coaches wide be coming in. I'm not sure about you, but the most stunning thing about the off season to me, with everything that wanted going on, no new coaches out there in the Pac 12. I mean, how long is Eric Haas going to wind up getting the benefit of the doubt from Sanford? I mean, I don't think that you could wind up canning Wayne Tinkle like 12 months after the team on to making an Elite 8 because you're Oregon State, but. Washington standing pad as well. That was a little bit head-scratching. You saw these teams do really nothing in the transfer portal. We take a look at the SEC, and we applaud them for all the moves that they want to making. I think that there's a lot of fair criticism for the lack of moves that have been made out there in the Pac-12, especially the fact that zero coaching moves were made, which that just stunned me. Follow the money, right? Not to bite off one of the finest segments, but...
3: I mean, just look at the money we talked about in the SEC. It's being thrown on not just at players, but at coaches compared to the Pac-12. There's just schools that don't have the resources and or the commitment to spend. And that's usually what a coaching change requires, right? You're going to pay a net premium to upgrade your status quo. I mean, I think Wayne Tinkle's a great coach. Oregon State's an impossible place to win. I I wouldn't fire him. I mean, Jared has to say what you want, he's underachieved, but you're not going to replace him with a guy who's going to recruit better talent to Stanford. And then Mike Hopkins at Washington, you're right. Like he sort of turned it around last year and kind of smoke and mirrored his way to like an okay season, but they were putrid for a while. Those jobs are. Seem to be a lot safer than some of the jobs in the SEC. I'll say that.
2: I mean, with Washington, they wound up losing on their home floor to Northern Illinois. Yeah, the game was not competitive. Game was absolutely. I, I I walked watched him <laughs> that game. Terrible. Yep. I. I have no idea how he still currently has a job, but somehow, some way, he does. And when you just take a look at right now the landscape of West Coast basketball, as weird as it is to say. It feels like the Pac-12 is sort of having some of their, I wouldn't say best players, but some of their mid-range players getting poached from some of these mid-majors. Like, you take a look at Wyoming, for instance. They've got Hunter Maldonado coming back. They've got three guys from the California schools, yep. two from USC and one from USC They're going to be coming in for them. You take a look at what San Diego has been able to do, and I was skeptical of the Steve are at first, but they bring in a double-figure score from Sanford and Jada Delaire, Eric Williams Jr. He wound up averaging more like eight points per game last season, but two years ago for an Oregon team that made the second week of the NCAA tournament, he was a double-figure score. Andre Kelly was legitimately Cal's best big man last yep. year. He yep, is no going question. to UC Santa Barbara, and I think that that's just so interesting to take a look at because, once again, it's not like player of the year sort of caliber from the Pac-12, but these are good starting players that they can play in pretty much any school aside from maybe Arizona and maybe UCLA out there in the Pac-12, and a lot of these guys, they're winding up going down to a little bit of a lower level, but staying out there on the West Coast. I'll throw Tyrell Roberts to San Francisco in that mix as
3: well. You know, we talk about how the Pac-12 programs don't have the luster and investment as some of the other SEC schools, and the WCC, you see that's conference on the rise, and many of those programs are in highly... Attractive destinations where they can get a guy that played in Pac-12 and expect to be competitive, right? Like obviously, you're not going to be in at large range most likely, but if it all breaks right, you're not a lot farther behind than where you were at your middle to you know low trot and Pac-12 place. So. Yeah, I had not noticed that, Greg. That's a very astute observation by you,
2: that dynamic. Yeah, it's been so fascinating to take a look at what's been all happening out there because I know that there's a lot of people that are going to be very sour on the Mountain West, and I don't think that they're going to be able to get as many teams into the NCAA tournament as they did last season. Same goes for the WCC just because with the WCC – San Francisco, when you wind up losing Todd Golden to Florida, that winds parting a little bit. And I just don't think that St. Mary's is going to once again be a top 25 team. I think that they're going to be solid once again, but that's a little bit of a step down. But I, I take a look at the overall depth and BYU, they're probably once again going to be one of those teams that is going to be competing for some sort of postseason. I think that they miss the NCAA tournament, but I think that they're in fine shape. We just talked about San Diego. And even Portland a little bit on the rise. So I like what they wind up doing. And Colorado State winds are taking a step down in the Mountain West. But you know that San Diego State is going to be there. They did a solid job in the transfer portal. They got Micah Parrish a little bit later. You got Wyoming. They did a very solid job in the transfer portal. They bring back Hunter Maldonado. Fresno State is going to be down a little bit. But I mean, a lot of these teams that were solved last season in those two conferences are going to be solved once again. And I think that both of those conferences maybe lose a bid, maybe even two from the Mountain West for the NCAA tournament, but I take a look at it again, and I think that the just standard that is being set by these mid-majors out there in the West Coast has become very solid, and year in and year out, they just continue to produce some very talented teams and an overall good product. Yeah, I think WCC and the Mountain
3: West are two conferences, you know, knocking on the door of that, you know, elusive power six high chair, if you will. They may not send more teams to the field in 2023, but I think it's highly plausible that both conferences are, top to bottom better than last season. I think the depth in the middle and the bottom is starting to fill out. You know, you look at San Jose State and Portland, right, two programs that are just on massive slingshot up swings under huge coaching upgrades. And you mentioned some of the other ones there in the middle tiers that I think are just bound for improvements off of last year. So the gap won't be as big, I think, from the heavy hitters to the mush.
2: I mean, even New Mexico wound up being able to take some strides forward last season in yep. Nevada, yep. was number eight out there in the Mountain West saying, when Nevada's your number eight team, you know what? We are actually staring at a league that is pretty darn solid as I think that we wound up having five different schools wind up winning 23-plus games out there in the Mountain West. And, you know, V, I like what they wound up doing in the transfer portal too. We're yep. talking about teams that wound up being able to bring in guys from the Pac-12. Elijah Parquet is going to be coming in. Elijah Harkless, he winds up coming in from Oakland. So they did a solid job as well as joining me on the podcast. We do have Matt Cox and Matt I know that like you're a man that you've got some ties to the great state of Indiana and the Hoosiers. And there have been many people have been speculating Should this team be number one or number two in the Big Ten hierarchy coming into the season? I think that should be one of the two. I wound up putting them number two personally. I like Illinois a little bit better just because I do think bringing in Matthew Meyer and the transfer portal wound up setting them over the top. But what are your overall expectations for Indiana? Because I do take a look at this program, and no question, I think that they're going to be better than last season. I think that Mike Woodson was a very good hire for this team. The one question mark is still Evan. I think that you probably have this one as well. Just what are you going to be able to get out of the backcourt, which is why I just can't put them at number one right now in terms of big Ten, just because I still think that there's too big a question mark as to what you're going to be able to get with regards to the guard play.
3: Yeah. I think you actually question Illinois backcourt a little bit too. I still like Illinois better. I'm with you. I have Illinois a slight notch above IU at this point because I haven't really seen the guard play bear itself out for the Hoosiers. It's been a bug of even under the Archie, you know, air as well so. especially under the RT version. i mean when it started it seems like woodson can't squash that bug he's got options this year i think the talent and the the optionality he has in the backcourt is far superior you know that should give them along with what i think is a pretty sturdy defense especially on the back end gives them pretty high floor I just, there's no low risk that indiana is a bust this year i'm not sure if i see like super super high national title upside though that's where i maybe question the hoosiers ceiling
2: and I think that it's fair to question that with really the entirety of the Big Ten because we're talking about conferences that wound up upgrading this offseason. The SEC certainly did that, and I take a look at the Big East, and my goodness, they wound up having an absolutely tremendous off season. but the Big Ten, they haven't been able to get it done in the NCAA tournament really the last two seasons, and I take a look at it this season, and I don't think that there's that surefire team that you're like, yep, We could certainly put them in the top five coming into the season because right now we're fighting as to whether or not Illinois or Indiana should be the number one team when it's all said and done. I don't know if you wind up having really a team above, I would say, eighth with regards to your top 10, maybe even a little bit higher, maybe a little bit lower, give or take a little bit. But I do take a look at the Big Ten, and it just seems to be a little bit down in general. And I think that it might be just a little bit of a rough year out there in that conference in general.
3: Yeah, it's a high bar for their expectation. You no, know, We said the same thing two years ago, that there wasn't really like a national top 10. And then they had a litany of teams that were in contention and then they all kind of flopped in the tournament, which has been the 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 MO for that conference, which is a whole other discussion. I think it's like similar to the other see in the Midwest. West, that same thing applies. It's a deeper league, but the heavy hitters don't don't pack the same punch that they have in the past, it, especially last season.
2: Yeah, no question about it. I do think that the depth with getting teams like Rutgers into the NCAA tournament, that's not gonna be there as well as joining me on the podcast. We do have Matt Cox of the three man weave and Matt, we've right now got one thing that really needs to be sorted out with regards to the transfer portal right now. And that's the fact that as we're doing this podcast, Imani Bates still has not made his decision with regards to where he's going to be going to school at. Now, by the time that this podcast gets posted, it might wind up being decided by that. But I feel like I've said this on like three or four different interviews the last three or four weeks. And every time I post it, nope, Imani Bates still out there in the transfer portal. So it's not decided where he wants to go, but I mean, it's just become a saga at this point, and he's a guy that if he would have stayed in the 2022 class, he was a top-five guy, wound up having a Buster rooney of a year last year at Memphis. It looked like he was going to go to Louisville. It looked like it was a done deal. That turned out to not be the case. He's been looking at some schools out there in the Midwest. He has not decided as to where he's going to go. I don't know about you, but the longer this winds up going, the less I think expectations should be, For Monty Bates, just because I don't know if there's really a lot of hope for him to be able to find a good fit. And wherever he winds up going, he's going to be way behind in trying to be able to gain some chemistry with him being a guy that wants the ball in his hands a lot. That, to me, is a big issue.
3: Yeah, I think he's going to get disrespected to the point where I think we forget about how talented he was and the fact that he was simply probably too young coming into college. and was at a fairly disastrous situation in Memphis. I'm kind of rooting for him. I hope he can find a good landing spot, but yeah, I couldn't be less interested in this whole drama right now.
2: I am fascinated to see where he winds up going because I know that one of the schools on his list was Eastern Michigan and Hey, if Eastern Michigan winds up getting them, then you're certainly starting to take a look at something. Stan Eve would be very, very excited about that, but that certainly is something to take a look at over the next few days. And Like I said, Hopefully, by the time this podcast is posted, maybe he's made a decision. I am not going to be banking on that. But one thing that I am banking on is the three-man weave providing absolutely tremendous content all throughout the off season. You, Jim, and Kai all do absolutely amazing work. And, Matt, I know you're going to be hard at work taking a look at these conference previews and so much more during the season So let the good people know they're able to follow you on social media and everything that you got going on in general.
3: Yeah, it's at Matty underscore Cox, as you said on the onset is my Twitter handle. We're diving in with our coach interviews behind the scenes right now. So I've just talked to, God, I think, six coaches today. So, yeah, a lot of work, but it's that time of year.
2: Yes, sir, it is. It is that time of the year that we wind up tra- starting to turn it forward to the 2022-23 season three-man weave. They always do an absolutely amazing job of taking a look at just all these conferences in the offseason, getting you guys set for the upcoming season. I'm sure that they're going to be hard at work once again. And Matt always brings the goods on this podcast. He did so once again today. So big thanks to him for joining me right here on Coast Coast. Heaps now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time the podcast to give you a little bit of a roundup as to all the news and notes that we wound up seeing in college basketball over the last 24 hours. Thank you, love you, Las Vegas, for Ghost, Ghost Hoops, with myself, Greg Spears. And now part of the Easton Family a Podcast, always a pleasure to get Matt Cox of the three men we on. He does absolutely terrific work, and all three of those gentlemen, Jim, Kai, along with Matt, They do absolutely excellent work. They are going to be working on all their conference previews getting set for the upcoming season. Some of the hardest working men in the business. So a big thanks to them for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. I give you a little bit of a roundup as to all the news. And also we wound up seeing in college basketball on Wednesday. You'll notice the first few days of the week we were having a little bit of shortage As to things that were going on in college basketball. And then we wound up seeing the explosion on Wednesday. Exactly what we were waiting for. Imani Bates, the last big domino to fall in the transfer portal. He is going to be going to Eastern Michigan. And boy, oh boy. It's going to be very interesting to see what we wind up getting out of him. Because he wound up having a rough year at Memphis. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. But also keep in mind with Imani Bates... This technically should be his freshman year because he did wind up reclassifying. He was looked at as a top three guy in the class of 2022 before he wound up reclassifying going to Memphis last season, wound up putting up 9.7 points per game overall, wound up shooting about 33% from three. And I think the biggest thing is you can look beyond just his raw numbers and things of that nature. And just when he wound up leaving the program in general. The Memphis Tigers wound up being able to pick up a whole bunch of seam after he wound up leaving. So that was really the biggest thing. But now he winds up going to Eastern Michigan where he is going to be the feature guy for them. He's going back home to Ypsilanti where everyone's going to wind up putting his arms around him. A few days ago, I wound up having Carter Elliott on the podcast and we were talking about this. This is probably the best fit that he could have wound up getting because there's really no other program that he could have went to that he would be able to go in be the man from day number one, and everyone else would be really be able to fall in line with it. Now, this is a bunch of it. They're going to need to work on the rebounding from last season. Eastern Michigan did not have a single player. Now, wound up averaging at least 5.4 rebounds per game. I have faith that Imani Bates is going to be able to do a relatively solid job there. He's going to be playing out there in a Mac in which you've got a few teams that they wind up playing defense. Kent State, Akron, they're very solid, but teams like Buffalo, they really play up tempo point with San Heath. He was really getting Eastern Michigan to play very fast last season. So I think that the style that is going to be run is one that I think is going to be very, very fascinating, to say the least. But I take a look at Eastern Michigan. Are they going to be able to win the MAC? I don't think so. I don't think that Imani Bates is going to be able to do quite that. But I foresee very, very big numbers when it comes to Amani Bates. This is going to be one of the more interesting teams in all of college basketball With Eastern Michigan, they just need a little bit of upward momentum. That is certainly upward momentum if I've ever seen it. The key, Green. He last season was at Stony Brook, a late entry into the transfer portal. He has decided that he is going to be going to Kansas State. Now, I still have Kansas State at the bottom of my power rankings when it comes to what we're going to be getting this season out of them, but he was able to put up 14 points, 8 rebounds, and did shoot 42.5% from 3-point range. Last season at Stony Brook, a little bit of a six-foot-four gentleman that began his career. MNN, he last season was able to do really his best work. As prior to that, he had never really put up more than 10 points for contests and had never shot above 30% from three point range. You've got to have a little bit of fear that perhaps he was a little bit of a one at wonder. But Kansas State, I do like Jerome Tang, what he was able to do. Add Baylor, someone that was able to learn from one of the best in Mr. Scott Drew. So he should be able to come in. I do think that in a few years, Kansas State is going to be a relatively respectable program, and there are a couple pieces that right away they're going to be able to come in, and they're going to be able to see some minutes. Abiyami Iola is coming in from Austria. He was able to put up right around 7 rebounds per game. Cameron Carter, he's a former 3-star recruit, Jarell Colbert. He coming in from LSU after being a relatively highly touted guy, so there should be some guys that should be able to contribute as the Sills was a former starter at Arkansas. I don't know how it's necessarily going to be able to mix and match together, but Green should be able to I would think see a little bit of a reserve role, and I think that he's going to be able to do an okay job with this team. But with that said, I still think that it's going to be a little bit of a rough year. Rafin Miguel, he wanted beginning his career at Ohio last year, was at Troy, he was able to give the team right around three points, two rebounds for contest. He decided that he is going to be going to UT Martin, a UT Martin program that you just feel bad for everything that they wound up going through in recent seasons because prior to the start of the 2020-21 season, they wound up losing their coach. And along with that, they wound up pretty much losing Parker Stewart. as has now decided to come back to the program after he wound up having his father and Anthony Stewart die prior to the 2020-21 season. Ryan Ritter has come in from Bethune-Cookman, and, and he got the team to play hard Last season, a lot of these guys, they wound up staying in place. So this is going to be another cog for a team that they weren't necessarily good on the glass. They wound up having one guy that averaged more than 5.2 rebounds per game. So I do think that Miguel is going to be able to come in. He should be able to see some minutes right away. So that is going to be solid for him. Greg Hammond Jr., he has decided that he is going to be going from UMass Lowland. He is going to be going down to Southern Arkansas. Something that began his career at Rhode Island. Just could never really find his footing, no matter where he wound up going. Wound up averaging two and a half points, two rebounds per contest last season. Did wind up shooting 40% from three, but... As you can imagine, a little bit of a small sample size. This is very easy for your handicap. All you need to note is that our good friend, Mr. Hammond, is decided that he is going to be going down to the Nandi Well, Nova Cross him off your list of guys who you need to evaluate, and you're able to move on from there. Thomas Murphy, a former top 200 recruit, a guy that I really thought was going to be able to make a Difference when he was at Northeastern along with Vermont. Wound up just completely missing all of Lias here. Could never stay out there on the court healthy in terms of points on a per minute basis. While he was at Vermont, by the way, he wound up putting up six and a half points per contest in nine and a half minutes per game as he was a career 42.2% three point shooter at six foot eight. But once again, just could never stay healthy. He has decided that he is going to be going to Nova Southeastern. So he has decided that he is also going to be going down to the non D1 level. Just a little bit of an unfortunate situation. Of affairs. If this guy would have been able to stay healthy, who knows what he would have been able to do? But he is out of the D1 fold. Out of the D1 fold as well is Derek Kellogg. Very interesting move by Long Island as. They decided that they were going to part ways with him on June 29th, which, if you took a look at Rod Strickland, he's actually got a relatively good resume. He is worthy of this job, in my opinion. He was sort of a G League program coordinator prior to this, so he knows how to be able to bring in some talent. Well-traveled man, wanted playing his college basketball at DePaul, and he actually did wind up serving as an assistant a few seasons ago at South Florida as well. Certainly was... A very good college player in his own right in the NBA. Someone that for his career averaged 13 points per contest. So he's got a lot of buzz. This, in my opinion, long term actually does wind up helping out Long Island. I actually don't hate this hire at all. I actually like it. The timing is just absolutely terrible, though, because the transfer portal season has really come to pass. Long Island really didn't wind up doing much in it, so maybe that's why they wanted making this move, deciding that it's going to be a little bit of a lost season in general, because they are missing so many guys that wound up being fifth-year guys like an Earl Penn and company. But, boy, I am not sure what to really make out of a June 29th hiring slash firing year. As I do think that, once again, Rod Strickland, good hire. Timing, absolutely cataclysmically bad. The timing for this is... It's going to be relatively solid for Henry Abram, though. He was playing last season. The timing for Henry Abram, though, I don't think it's so bad. As he's getting out of Eastern Illinois, which has been a complete and utter dumpster fire ever since they wound up making their coaching move a few seasons ago, getting rid of Mr. Jay Spoonhour, someone that last year averaged 6.5 points, 2.7 assists per contest, and shot 38.5% from three for an Eastern Illinois team that legitimately was one of the bottom 15 teams in all of college basketball at 5-26 straight up. inside decided that he is going to be going to Costa Carolina. And Costa Carolina, a team that was able to make the final of the basketball classic tournament from last season, but certainly wound up having a little bit of an up-and-down season, a Munch has been able to do a little bit better on defense here in recent years, but they do lose Abrima Diba from last season, so there is going to be some opportunities out there in the backcourt for Abraham right away. A little bit more of a specialty three-point shooter. I do think that he needs to work on his ball handling just a little bit because he certainly was one of the worst teams in the country last season at turning it over as Abraham. He wasn't necessarily the focal point of that issue, but he still did wind up having last season right around two turnovers per contest up, and it's something that he's going to need to clean up, but they also bring in Linton Brown who was just really glued to the bench in general. I was at St. Bonaventure last season, I gotta suspect that he's gonna be seeing a little bit more playing time in Costa Carolina's Hall when you wind up taking a look at it. It's actually not too bad because they also do wind up bringing in Jamario Brown who is a double-figure scorer at Eastern Kentucky. Someone that's able to give you a couple seals with that regard. Antonio Day Jr. winds coming in from Fordham under the radar. This is a Costa Carolina team that if they're able to get anything whatsoever out of J- Jimmy Nichols, Who ends up coming in for VCU? He's been able to do a relatively solid job and as we know, out there in the Sun Belt, there's been a lot of movement with a lot of those teams from last season into this year along with Conference USA, so that's going to be interesting to take a look at as well. And then Kelvin Wesley, he last season was playing at Jackson State. He has decided that he is going to be entering into the transfer portal, a guy that is leaving very, very late. you got to question whether or not he's going to be playing at one College Basketball is he won a seeing action in five games last season, put up 0.4 points for contest, so a little bit of a non-starter there, but we did wind up seeing quite a bit go down in college basketball once a... Hopefully, tomorrow. And if it's not going to be tomorrow, it's going to be within the next 48 hours. Going to be doing my latest conference preview. I'm going to be taking a look at the big sky on this podcast as I'm doing a conference preview for all 32 of these conferences. So I'm doing everything I can to try to make this upcoming college basketball season the best and most profitable ever. And if you do like what you're from this fine podcast, Coast Coast Soup, you're able to subscribe wherever you you're podcast Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment idea, what you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we able to send. First one is my Twitter timeline at unit underscore d one. Keep in mind, letters C M. mean does not matter. So as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. The other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. By that five-star review, a big thanks to Matt Cox. Does terrific work over there at the three-man weave. He joined me in the last segment. Hopefully, you guys are enjoying what you're hearing once we wind up getting in season by the way, picks an analysis on every single game every single day. So, I'll be coming at you guys once again tomorrow, hopefully, with a conference preview, if not within the next 48 hours on that. Thank you so much for getting. It.